Welcome to Island Baptist Church. Today's sermon is in Luke 1, born of a virgin. So we're in the book of Luke, and we're going to be progressing here, uh, making slow progress, but nonetheless, importantly, methodically slow, uh, because these early chapters are foundational for the entire Bible. Uh, the first two chapters of Luke, uh, the first early, early life of Jesus, especially his uh, conception and birth, are so such a hinge. Uh, what good is a door without the hinge, right? And that's kind of where we are. You're at the hinge. The hinge needs to work. And so we're going to make sure that it's working today. As we study, we're going to spend a couple of Sundays together over this topic of, of uh, the virgin birth. And uh, ready, we've been looking at, like I said, the story of John the Baptist up until now, but now we're ready to consider the all-important, uh, the, the pinnacle of these early chapters, which of course is Jesus' conception and birth. Jesus is human. That means he come, came to this world just like the rest of us humans, through the womb of a woman. But the womb that he came through was not like the womb that you came through or I came through. He came through the womb of a virgin. Makes him not just different in that sense, but also because of how he was conceived. And we're going to be considering that together. Many who have classed the virgin birth as a sideline, unnecessary doctrine. And I would say very simply, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, it is a heretical lie that the virgin birth is unnecessary or an unnecessary piece of the puzzle. I brought up here a very important, uh, this, is the way I can, this is the way I keep myself busy during church service. You know, when I get bored, I play puzzles. And um, <laughs> How many of you play light puzzles? So we always did puzzles in the wintertime. We always had something out. It was kind of a holiday thing for my family. If, if you find a puzzle that's like this, though, what do you do with it? Missing a piece. What do you do with it? Even if it's a thousand pieces, so I've got a thousand piece puzzle and I'm missing, you know, I've got 999. Isn't that a good puzzle? Uh, my family. We chunked it. This one only has, I think, 10 pieces, so I'm missing a big piece, right? You just throw it away because the poor kids in their nursery are going to, you know, have a fit trying to figure out where, whether Noah had, a, had apes on the ark or not, whether they evolved, right? So. It's, it's sliding to say that the virgin birth is a piece of the overall puzzle because somehow it may make you think that there's a thousand pieces in there, there are more than a thousand, that somehow if I'm missing only one, it's not that big of a deal. And yes, of course, we would throw a puzzle like that away. It's, it's more than that. It is, it's a hinge. You throw out the virgin birth, it, all it's necessary, people say, is that believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me correct you by simply saying this. If you don't believe in the virgin birth, the, the resurrection, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ become meaningless. One more regular dude who died and claimed a resurrection. That's all it is. You cease to have the virgin birth. You cease to have a Savior. You cease to have a Savior. You cease to have Christianity. There's no forgiveness of sin. There's no reconciliation with God. There, there's no being blood-bought if there was no blood conceived. There, there is no answer for that. I mean, you, you, you simply cut the ground out from under completely of Christianity. It is not a sideline doctrine. It is a mainstream as the crucifixion or the resurrection of Jesus. It's not for you to dispose of summarily. Uh, it, it is that, that important. Rabbi Zacharias wrote a book called The Questions I Would Like to Ask God. And in there, he quoted uh, one guy by the name of Larry King. Larry King, of course, not as a Christian. He's a Jewish guy. And he's this famous in, in, um, interviewer. And in, 
in that book, he writes of an interview, actually, a question that was actually, Larry King is usually the question asker. And in this case, he got a question asked to him. And here was the question asked to Larry King, this Jewish man. He said, if you could ever, if you could interview anybody in history, Larry, who would you interview? His, without thinking, his immediate response was, I would love to interview Jesus Christ. He said, really? Well, what would you ask him? And again, without thinking, he says, I would ask him if he was truly virgin born. Well, the guy asking Larry King the question said, really, why would you ask him that? He says, because it would change everything for me. I, you know, here we got this secular dude who's correcting Christians on how important the virgin birth is. It would change everything. It would define history, he says, for me. Yes, that's exactly right. History was defined in the conception of God's Son in the womb of a virgin. It is not a dispensable doctrine. It is essential doctrine. It's not a debatable issue either. Oh, you can either believe it or you don't. But one side is Christianity and the other side is not. We're going to see it here together. Let's take a look at it. We're here in Luke chapter 1. All right, y'all are. Let me get there. And we're going to begin down in verse 26. So we finish with a story of the conception and the process of birth of uh, John the Baptist. And it told us in previous couple of verses above verse 26 that now Elizabeth was in her fifth month and that she had been five months kept in seclusion. I mean, you're 65 and you're pregnant. Who do you tell? Who believes you, right? And of course, her husband can't talk, and so she's burning his ears off there in the back part of the room. <laughs> so it says something here, though, interesting in verse 26. It says that in the, now in the sixth month, so she was five months, right, and this is the sixth month. But the problem about it is, is the Greek is a very specific language. And it doesn't say her sixth month, it says the sixth month. The, the definite article, I would suggest to you, indicates something more than it's just her sixth month of pregnancy. I would suggest to you the possibility that it is referring not just to her sixth month of pregnancy, but to the fact that it was the sixth month on the calendar. Now, that's provocative for this reason. Because it's the month, as we'll see just right now, in the next verse that we're going to read, in which Mary conceives. So if Mary conceives in the sixth month, which, by the way, is August in the Jewish calendar, we know when Jesus was born. Or I should say, we know when the month is. It can't be December, by the way. It never could be December. Do we all know that? Like, no one thinks it's December, do we? Much less December 25th. It was sometime in the warmer weather because they were feeding their flocks by night, and uh, Bethlehem is, a high, is high ground, 3,000 feet above sea level, and it's about the latitude of, of uh, Oklahoma City. It gets cold at 3,000 feet Oklahoma City in the middle of winter. They don't keep your flocks in field by night. Not just that, but also we have this as a possibility. So if he was... If she was, he was conceived in the sixth month, that would have him born nine months later. And we back up three months, actually, from the month of conception. So that gives him born in May. That's interesting, isn't it? And we're not going to talk about it, but there you go, just to distract you from what I'm about to say. <laughs> now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, the same one that talked to Zacharias in the temple, now shows up in Mary's room, was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. Talk about anybody here from a tiny town that nobody ever heard of and nobody ever goes to because you've got to be going there to get there? Anybody? From towns like that? Yep. That's Nazareth. Nobody went there because nobody was from there because there's nothing to do there. There's nobody to see there. That's Nazareth. Nazareth is just the smallest podunk city you can possibly come up with. This girl 
a virgin, engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Coming in, he said to her, Hail, favored one, the Lord is with you. It's nice to know that. Favored and uh, the Lord is with her, but it doesn't help her. Not any more than it would help you. You'd be scared to death. So was she. She was greatly troubled at this statement. Kept pondering what kind of salutation. So you're in a room by yourself, and all of a sudden a man in shining clothes shows up. It's not a good day for you. Scared. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. And he will be great. He will become the son, called the Son of the Most High. Unique title. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. So not only is he going to be the Son of God, he's also going to be the Son of David. And David's throne was on earth, right? In a city called Jerusalem. So Jesus' throne is going to be on earth in a city called Jerusalem someday. Okay? Very clear theology here. And he will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? That's the Jews. Forever. No end, it says, to his kingdom. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered and says, The Holy Spirit. She's engaged to be married, but they're not together yet. I'm a virgin. That's the way babies don't come into the world through virgins, typically. Holy Spirit says, well, the angel says in this exception, yes. This is going to be the exception. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason... The holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. Otherwise, he couldn't be called the Son of God if he was conceived in any other way. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth, who also conceived a son in her old age, and see who is called barren, is now in her sixth month. And so we have this, this story, this, this uh, introduction to the virgin birth of God's Son Jesus. The virgin birth is not a small issue. It's not. He had to be virgin born in order to be, he had to be born of God in order to be the son of God. He couldn't be the son of anyone else. He had to be virgin born, all right? So it, this is, how, how crucial is this? Well, this is D-Day for the human race. This is when God lands in human flesh on our cursed planet. And he does it in the womb of a virgin, it's what he does. So God's plan to save humanity is now launched in the virgin's womb. The plan that he had had from all eternity to rescue us is launched in this inconspicuous, unlikely place. It's not how I would have done it. But I'm not God. So, so Jesus had existed co-equal, uh, co-eternal, of the same substance, with the Father, and with the Holy Spirit for all eternity. Forever. But in that state, right, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. In that state, as spirit, he could not save us. In, in that state, he's not a savior. Because, see, he, he had to be able to take our place. I don't know if you noticed, but I'm not spirit up here. I'm physical. So in order to take my place, he has to become one of me. Does that make sense? How does he do it and remain God? So I've got to have a God with an infinite God in order to take care of an infinite number of, effectively, sins and sinners. So how do I get an infinite God 
to a place where they can take a place of a flesh and blood sinner. God becomes a man. That's the thought process. God becomes a man. How, how can he be a savior? He could not save us in the state that he was from all eternity. The plan of God was that he save us, but he couldn't launch that plan until Jesus became a man. He had to become a man in order to take our place. He had to have a body to be broken so that we could be made whole. He had to have blood in that body so that he could shed that blood to pay for our sins. But he also had to be God, else he's just one more man dying for an unnecessary reason. No, he was God and man, both the Son of God and the Son of David. Jesus' capability, listen, to save us was planned from all eternity, but it was launched in the womb of Mary. Jesus' capability, again, to save us was planned from all eternity. We're going to see that, how as soon as, the, as in just a second, as soon as uh, Adam and Eve falls, God announces how he's going to rest and restore them. Just as soon as they do. It's like God's been knowing that beforehand. Yeah, that's what it means to be God. You know everything and you always have known everything. Jesus' capability to save us was planned from all eternity, but it was launched in the womb of a virgin by the name of Mary. It's not a sideline issue. It is mainstream. It is massive. In fact, not to hold to it or believe to it means we cease to be Christian. Just flat out is. So Jesus was the firstborn. Yeah, we saw it last time. Jesus' birth is the first birth mentioned in the entire Bible. It's in, over here in Genesis. I've been referring to it already. Genesis 3.15. So Adam and Eve fall. The snake and Adam and Eve are called to the carpet in front of God, and God pronounced curses and blessings and future prophecies on all, the, all three. I will put enmity, God speaking to the snake, the serpent, Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman, not the man. There's a battle coming. And it's coming between the progeny of both these groups, one of the snake and the other of, not the man, the woman, between your seed, his progeny, and her seed. Now wait a minute. Either God's had a senior moment, or he's forgot biology 101, but women don't have seed. That's a male thing what it means to be male. Or, that's in the natural sense, God is speaking about something that's not natural, something that's supernatural. Boom, you got it. Supernatural, he's speaking of a conception that is outside of the seed of men in, the, in, a, in a woman, and that that one that comes, it says, capital H, he shall bruise your head, snake, Satan, and you shall bruise his heel. Both are deadly blows. I stomp a snake on the head, he's dead. A snake bites me on the heel, I'm dead. So it predicts the death of the progeny of the serpent and also the progeny of her seed. Jesus did. He had to die to save us, you see. But it predicts this as this whole thing coming about, this process through this conception that is outside of the natural bounds of things. So it, it, he announces it. So from the very beginning, as soon as the man and woman fell from God's plan, God immediately announces how he's going to reinstate them. It's going to be through the womb of a virgin. Follow it? Okay. So no human took this seriously. This is the first prophecy and the first birth announced in the entire Bible. It's just the third chapter of Genesis. First prophecy and the first birth announced in the entire Bible, and yet no other person refers to that ever through the rest of the Old Testament. 
You think, oh, wow, shouldn't they have it as like top priority? We're expecting the seed of a woman. They never mention it. They got amnesia, right? It's brought up one more time in the Old Testament, but it's brought up by God over here in Isaiah chapter 7. We saw this last time. We read it every Christmas, right? The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I'd say that's definitely a sign, right? Not a young woman conceives. That's how we all got here, isn't it? That's not what he's saying. If I say a virgin's going to conceive, now that's a sign, my friend. Otherwise, if I say, oh, a young woman's going to conceive, that's like saying, I'll give you a sign, you will see blue skies. Like, well, blue sky? It's everywhere. Women conceiving is everywhere. That's how we all got here. But a virgin conceiving, now, brother, that is a sign, you see. That's a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call him Emmanuel. So, so this... God alone brings this up because it seems like the people can't pay attention to what God says. And isn't that true? Maybe you're shocked at this, but people don't pay attention to what God says. I know that's not true for you. Your whole life. You've always been 100% good at that, right? Isn't it true that we could stop all the world's problems if we just snap our fingers and the world, all the world everywhere would listen to and obey what God says? Wouldn't it flush everything out? It would just flush all the evil and all the messed up thinking and acting in our entire world just like that. We could fix the whole thing. It is that simple. And wouldn't it also, sorry, fix a lot of your problems too if you would just simply listen and do what he says? Wouldn't it? I know you can't go back. Me neither. But I can tell you going forward, I can't fix all your problems because even though you obey everything that God says, it doesn't affect your husband or your wife or your children or your friends or the nation you live in or the society you're raised in, and they're not obeying the Word of God, and so it is not going to stop all your problems, I'm sorry. But it will stop all your cause problems if you will listen to and obey what God says. So it shouldn't shock us when we don't see people mentioning the virgin birth ever after the first prophecy and the first prediction of a birth is that of a virgin. We never hear it mentioned everywhere else in anybody else's faith perspective because people have amnesia and they don't want to do what God says. But let me tell you something. There was a, there was a third person there in that scenario. So he's speaking to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve got amnesia and all their descendants about this virgin birth. But the snake, he didn't forget. See, the snake's like, like us. He's not sheep. Sheep are dumb, and you can distract them real easily. The snake was not a sheep. He's Satan. He's not stupid. And he demonstrates the fact that he didn't forget this three different ways that he's attacked the virgin birth, this, this progeny of the seed of a woman. He's attacked it through history. He's done it through three different ways. I want to give them to you for the rest of our time this morning. Through amnesia, we've already seen that effectively. Through the flooding of the market, about the virgin birth. And through demonic doctrine concerning the virgin birth, either to, to explain away or to do away with the process or at the very least the teachings of the virgin birth, he's hit from three different fronts. First of all, he's done it through amnesia. We've already seen that. People forget stuff. So how much more important can you get than the first prophecy and the first, first predicted birth? And yet nobody seems to recall that. Yeah, there it is in the Bible. It's also in the Hebrew. It's extremely ancient. So how do, how do we get amnesia about such incredibly important things? Like I said, there's something more going on than just our senior moments, guys. There is, a, there is a force out there. There is a force that's causing us to forget. In fact, the Bible says he's forcing himself on people all the time. Here's a description that Paul has of him. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. 
And in this case, the God of this world, that would be the snake, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelieving so that they might not see the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We'd like to think we have control of what goes on within our lives, right? Especially between our ears. We pride ourselves. I can think myself through this. I can figure my way out of this. Listen, you're being deceived. You don't have near the control you thought. Because there's supernatural entities, not just one out there, who have more power than you uh, can possibly imagine. And among other things, such a level of deception where there is a veil over your ability to understand and control what runs around between your ears is just a fact. I hope you'll accept it as that. So first of all, amnesia, he's big into that. He'd love for you just to forget. Number two, he's warred against this teaching and this process of the virgin birth by flooding the market. Like I said, people forgot the prophecy, but Satan sure didn't. So, and he demonstrates that by his invention, among other things, of counterfeits almost immediately. So he goes from the conversation that God has with him and with the man and the woman and he immediately starts inaugurating plans to undo that. I mean, obviously, since his demise has already been spoken of, there's got to be some way between now and then that I can stop the process, thinking like Satan. That I can stop the process. And so what he does is he inaugurates counterfeits. First of all, he inaugurates a counterfeit race. Did you know that? Have you read the Bible? He started a counterfeit race. He was really gung-ho. In fact, part of the flood, the purpose of the flood was to eliminate the counterfeit race that he had created. Now, here's, here's how it came about. Genesis 6, verse 2, it says, The sons of God saw the daughters of men were beautiful. And now we just go right through that like it means, like it just, we, we read that as men were attracted to women. That's nothing new about that. I don't think. Sons of God saw the daughters of men that they were beautiful and they took wives for themselves. Well, the problem with that is, is that the term sons of, sons of God never refers to humans in the Old Testament. Only ever refers to angels in the Old Testament. So sons of God, that's angels, doing stuff that angels shouldn't do. That gives us, so angels minus holiness equals demons, right? All right. So demons saw the daughters of, this is the way it reads, it's in your Bible, I don't make this up, I didn't write this. Sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And, and then verse 4, the Nephilim were on the land, that, that word Nephilim is a plural word which says fallen ones. That's their title, they're fallen, which is a bad title. I'd rather be saved than fallen, right? They're the fallen ones, it's a permanent state for them. The fallen ones were on the earth in those days, afterwards also, so before the flood and after the flood, when the sons of God, back to these demons, came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. So, don't ask me the biology. And don't ask me the biology of the virgin birth either. So, somehow, these demons, along with women, conceived a race called the fallen ones. It's in your Bible. And these were the mighty men, it says, of old, men of renown. The word renown there doesn't mean the same in our language as it did in their language. It's men of, um, what, what's infamy maybe is a better way to say it. They were well known for bad stuff, let's just say that. These Nephilim are referred to in other places as the Anakim. They were all giants. I don't know if you've ever studied the story of David and Goliath. Goliath was a big dude, like nine and a half feet tall and not a basketball player size. He was big and he wasn't alone he had brothers 
He had others. He had among his brothers one that had 12 fingers and 12 toes. You're talking about this, this uh, mutant race of individuals. When, when they go into the promised land, they come back and they give a report of how beautiful the land was, but how there's no way they can take over because they were men so big that they were grasshoppers, they said, in their sight. Big dudes, all right? This, this counterfeit race that Satan is creating here through through his demons, and you say, I don't believe it. And I say, well, knock yourself out. I'm just, I'm just reading your own scriptures to you. Uh, by the way, just archaeologically speaking, anybody been to Glen Rose, Texas? Glen Rose? Anybody from Glen Rose? I mean, I know you're... We had a, we've had some rednecks in here before. I'm one. I'm just not from Glen Rose. <laughs> Glen Rose is a place up here in central Texas where you can go and see dinosaur tracks. Among other things that you see in, among the dinosaur tracks, you also see human footprints in the same stones where the dinosaurs stepped. In some cases, the human footprints fall within the tracks of the dinosaurs themselves. In other words, the dinosaur was stepping in mud, and the human came along behind him and stepped in the same mud, like I'm saying, within the same day or two. So, wow, that throws a lot of stuff out the window as far as uh, our current scientific studies are concerned, does it not? But a very interesting thing about those feet are, is that almost without exception, they're huge. They're like, I mean, I'm talking about 25 inches. I have a big foot. I got an 11-inch foot. Anybody here got a 12 or a 13 or a 14? Any of you ladies got a 15, 16? <laughs> it's a big old honking duck foot, right? And I'm not saying that regular-sized people can't have regular-sized feet, but an 11-inch foot on me is proportional to a 6-foot-2 frame. Proportional. So I got a 25-inch foot in stone in Glen Rose, Texas. How big was that dude? I'm thinking Big. Really big. It wasn't just a Middle Eastern thing. It wasn't just an Israel thing. It was an everywhere thing because that's what it says. Doesn't it? And it may weird you out a little bit, and I don't know what to do for you. Like I said, it's in your Bible. I didn't write it. But why? So why would Satan promote a counterfeit race? Because that's his problem. See, I can't stop. Maybe I could stop the seed that's coming to destroy me by infecting the seed. There's no more legitimate seed anymore, so we undo the process. I poison the race so that there is no race to rise up and destroy me, and again, just thinking like Satan. So first of all, counterfeit race, well, that didn't work. God flooded the whole place and killed 99% of them. And then David comes along and kills the rest of them. And then after a counterfeit race, and this is what he's been promoting ever since, he came up with a counterfeit religion. Of course, counterfeits are such that well, in order to make a dude counterfeit, if I handed you a purple Monopoly $20 bill and you're working at Walmart, would you take it? Take it and call the guard and say, there's an idiot up here trying to give me a $20. On the other, that's not a counterfeit. Because a counterfeit is, needs, is deceptive. A purple $20 bill is not deceptive. But a, a $20 bill that in every way looks like the $20 bill that you've ever seen, but you've never been trained to, to discern counterfeits, I'm going to pass it off to you. That's what counterfeits do. Same is true in counterfeit religion. Satan creates a counterfeit religion that is so close to the real thing, but, but just short of it. And, of course, the first rattle out of the box, as soon as Satan starts creating religions, is he creates a religion that has a supposed virgin birth. Long time ago. Like within Genesis, he does this. In fact, in Genesis 11, we're told the story of Nimrod, who creates several cities, not the least of which was Babylon. Babel, it says. He creates in that city this pyramid, this ziggurat, and it began to worship other things and climbs a tower to the stars. And of course, you know the story, God comes and confuses the languages because they were 
they were basically headed to come out of the flood. He had to destroy all the human race. And now they were headed back to this demise by worshiping these other things that they had created in their heads. And so Nimrod creates all this. His wife, whose queen is Semiramis, Nimrod passes away. Semiramis reigns, continues to reign, but as queen, now she has no one. I don't have to answer her husband or anybody else. She doesn't want to get married because if she brings a man into the story, then the man becomes king, and that kind of takes away her prowess. But she's not afraid of sleeping around. So, sure enough, she comes up pregnant. The whole world is like, our queen, she's promiscuous. And so she creates the story where she says that her pregnancy is immaculately conceived. In fact, the story is, she says, that a sunbeam hit her, and that's how she conceived. And so her son, she names Tammuz, which is the son, the child of the sun, effectively, in, in, the, in the Babylonian language. So, but now she's told this lie about her son, so now he's born, so now you've got to create some kind of story about how he's special because... She doesn't want, you have to continue, once you lie one time about how you got pregnant, you had to lie continually about how this, who this son actually is. And so that's what she did. And she created this whole story, this whole line about how he was special and how they were both he and her, of course, he wouldn't leave, she wouldn't leave herself out, were to be worshipped because they were, she was the mother of this God, this, this God of the son. And so this begins to proliferate. Of course, the, the story that she gives away and the worship, which is this pyramid, as the languages are confused, the people spread out all over the world, and they take both the architecture and the, the religion with them. So everywhere you go throughout the ancient world, you find two things. One pyramid, and the second one, was, that was the object of worship. It didn't start in Egypt. It started in, in Babylon. You find them in Mesoamerica. You found them in Far East. You find them everywhere. You also find the same religion, this mother and child religion. So what was called in the Babylonian language, Semiramis and Tammuz, that was her name and his name, when, it, when the languages began to change, they took with them the same gods under different names. For instance, in Egypt, from Semiramis to Tammuz, you get Isis and Osiris. It's the same religion. It's just different names. Still this virgin born, this immaculately conceived son, and this woman who's special because obviously the son... God saw her special for that reason. And then, and then in India, you have, again, same gods, different names, Issi and Alsara. In Phoenicia, you have, and you know this in your scriptures, Asherah and Baal was, a, was the nemesis of the Jews, right? Worshiping Baal. Uh, in Greece, they changed their names to Aphrodite and Eros. In, in Rome, they changed their names from Venus to Cupid. Again, you had this woman who immaculately conceives. Where did they come up with that? It wasn't just of necessity because she didn't want to tell, tell everybody she was sleeping around. No, there was a supernatural entity behind this. Have you ever heard the story of, of how Buddha got here? Here's his mom's story. She said a celestial el- elephant having six tusks entered her belly and slept with her. And she conceived, and this elephant, of course, was a celestial animal, God thing. And then ten months, not nine months, but ten months later, holy cow, she carried him for nine, ten months. Uh, she gave birth to Buddha. Again, this whole scenario of supernatural conception and this immaculately born child. Why of all the options you have in all the world to think of, why are the major religions coming up with the same story? Because there's a single mind behind it. Because here, what's, what's the purpose in all this if we were to, to explore his mind? Well, very simply this. When God carries out his in, 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 
in all due timing. His plan that it was announced way back there in Genesis 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 15, that he would bring through the seed of a woman his Savior, who would be his very son, immaculately conceived. When he brings him into the world and the Christianity Christians bring this story to the world, what does the world say? We've already got one of those. He's flooded the market, you see, through counterfeit, 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 so that the world, again, his whole ploy is to keep the world to himself. And uh, he's going to lose that. But nonetheless, he is affecting that upon all of us still. still. And then there's one more thing. So if it didn't, he couldn't get us through amnesia, and he couldn't get us through flooding the market, then what he's done, he continues to do all the way through, is introduce a demonic doctrine. And of course, he does that. And we're living in the days of demonic doctrines. And demonic doctrines are floating within our churches. One of them is that there was no virgin birth. It is demonic. It is deceptive. It's from the pit of hell. I don't know if I can say that any clearer. It's horrible. The Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Notice, depart from the faith in order to get these doctrines. You have to leave something to get something else. Well, I'm still a Christian, but I don't believe in the virgin birth, the death, or resurrection of Jesus. You're not a Christian. You're not. And what you believe is not Christianity. Latter times, some will depart from the faith Heeding, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. These demons have been running around doing stuff for a long time. So, so he couldn't flood the market and get you to believe. He couldn't give you amnesia and get you to forget. And so he gives you something altogether different. When Jesus comes to the world through the womb of a virgin, presents himself to his people as their Messiah, virgin-born, Savior, to rescue them, presents himself as the son of David. By the way, they, were not, they didn't have a problem with that. Descendant of David, there were lots of descendants of David. They didn't have a problem with him saying that. But as soon as he said he was the son of God, they killed him. As soon as they said that. Because they didn't have room in their doctrine for any person to be born of God. But it's in their Bible. I just read it to you. It's the first prophecy in their Bible. I just showed it to you. God brings it up in, 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 uh, in Isaiah 7. It's there. It's always been there. But when he said that I'm the one, they killed him for it. They're no different than the theology of the modern atheists, or the modern skeptics, or the cultists, or the liberals that all denounce the virgin birth of Jesus. Recently surveyed, Protestant seminaries, which is where our leaders, Christian leaders, are being trained, men and women. Only 50% of all the Protestant survey within seminaries, I'm not talking about churches, within seminaries, only 50% believe in the virgin birth. So if there's a fog in the pulpit, guess what happens in the pews? So a lot, much more than 50% of Protestants don't believe in virgin birth. I don't know about Catholics. I'm thinking Catholics are not near that bad. Protestants, though, the truth of Scripture, listen, 50%, I mean, you need to know this. The truth of Scripture is not determined by a popular vote. I don't care if 50% or 10%, it's irrelevant. Truth is still truth. Right is still right. Fact is still fact. The world, the world's become a crazy place. Delusional. Do you notice that? If you haven't noticed that, then you may, you may be a part of the delusion. Because <laughs> if, you know, if everybody's dreaming and you don't see them dreaming, then maybe you're in a dream. People are, people are claiming, among other things, this is popular among our young people, popular among older people today, they're saying the terms of, well, they refer to things as being their truth. My truth, your truth. You heard that? My truth is such and such. Your truth, that's not my truth, but that's your truth. 
Can, can I just simply raise a flag and say that's the most crazy thing I have ever heard? That is insanity to think that there is a truth that can be only mine and not yours, or vice versa. That is insane. Because either it is both of ours, or it is neither of ours, but it can't be one or the other of ours. There is no such thing as my truth and your truth. There just simply is the truth. And it's, whether you believe it or not, it's just simply true for you, and it's also true for me, and it doesn't require our vote, and it's not a votable issue. Here, here's an example, and just, just as, 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 an, as an example. The earth that we live on currently is 79,000 miles in diameter. That is the truth. That is not your truth, neither is it my truth. It is simply the truth. And we can all get together and vote and say, that is not the truth, but it doesn't change the truth. The truth is it's 79,000 miles. In fact, the truth is, is that you can multiply the diameter of the earth times 11,750, and you get the exact distance from the earth to the sun. That is the truth. That is not your truth. I don't believe it. Fine. It is still the truth. The truth. Likewise, the, the truth is not determined by popular vote. In the simplest of terms, God asks us to believe the truth that his son was born through a virgin womb. It is not your truth. It is not my truth. It is the truth. You take it or leave it. But if you leave it, listen, you are not Christian, nor is what you believe Christianity. I make that perfectly clear. It is not. What you are believing, though, is doctrines of demons. You're being deceived. It is not what the Scripture teaches, the doctrine of demons, and they are all liars. The truth is, is that God came to the world and landed on D-Day in the virgin, in a womb of a virgin. Her name was Mary. And that was the inauguration of his plan to save the world. And he did it no other way. And that is just simply the facts. And the, the, the quote that the angel gives to Mary over here in Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23, reminding Mary, or actually, in this case, Joseph, reminding Joseph of, of the virginity of Mary that she's legitimate. So she comes up pregnant, but she's married to Joseph. They both know they haven't been together, and yet she says, I'm pregnant, but it's by God. How convenient, right? He's going to put her away until he has this dream in which he sees this angel. Notice what it says. Spoken by the Lord. He's saying, through the prophet, the angel's reminding Joseph, haven't you ever read the Bible, Joseph? Because this is what it says. The behold, a virgin will be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Jesus. Oh, yeah. But in this case, very specifically, Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Not a representative of God. That's an angel, right? That can be you and me. I can represent God. Hopefully I do it well. But I can't be God. But the angel says, translating his name, God with him. God himself with us. God is about to plant himself in your womb, Mary. And you're going to bring forth bodily God himself, who and only can be the Savior. I'm going to ask you please to bow your heads. And close your eyes with me as we conclude this morning. God's truth is to be taken for what it is. Take it or leave it. Believe it or drop it. But please don't say it doesn't say what it says.
God, you are a God of your word. You say what you mean. You mean what you say. I know we can't wrap our minds around everything. We can't biologically explain how a virgin conceives. But it must not be important because you left us without it. What is important is that it did happen. And that you launched your plan to save us. The plan that you had from all eternity. But you launched it through a virgin's womb. The conception of your son. It became a person like us to take her place. A body so that he could be broken to make us whole. Blood so he could shed it to cleanse us of our sins. The Savior himself who was to die to do those things and to rise again, proving that he is the Savior. Today, God, we have the great assurance that a man is sitting on the throne of heaven, ever to intercede for us, and we so need him today. Lord, I pray that you'd work in our hearts to believe you remove from us the deception and the lies and the um, corruption, God, that the world brings to us, to drag us away from the truth. Help us to start by just simply saying, it says what it says. And then God allowing your spirit to deal with us, to teach us, to take us deeper into the understanding that you have for us. Lord, I thank you that there is life alone in you and that if truly we would end so many issues, if we could just simply believe and do what you say. Thank you, God, for speaking to us today and the privilege we have to learn together Thank you for your spirit that's here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. Find us at www.islandbaptist.org.